Well, in the Old Testament, it started off by way of an illustration. God gave the people his law, and the law contained 613 commands regulating life for Israel and the land. God expected them to keep and obey this law, but God never intended for the law to become a means of salvation or obtaining righteousness. The only way for that was just by faith. He wanted his people to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Only then would keeping this law become an act of worship. That's not really how most Israelites understood the law. They didn't seem to understand it very much at all. And throughout their history, they fell into two main errors concerning the law, stemming from really misunderstanding its purpose and intent. Some would look at these 613 commands and think to themselves, I can't do this. This is way too big. There's no way I can keep this law. But not approaching God by faith, they'd become discouraged and almost give up trying. They would not try and diligently obey. Others, though, fueled by pride, would look at God's commands and say, I can do this. If I try hard enough, I I can keep this law. Also not approaching God by faith, that the law became to them a source of self-righteousness. And some were very task-oriented. They're very happy to check a bunch of laws or tasks or commands off the list and think that's all God expected of them. Of course, both of these were wrong approaches to the law. On the one hand, some Jews failed to understand that God's law is indeed unkeepable. It's really more of a reflection of our sin nature than than God's uh, law. Recognizing we cannot keep this law that the Jews were meant to seek God by faith for his mercy. But obedience still mattered. God expected them to live by this law, but fueled by faith, they were meant to obey. But the other pitfall of self-righteousness would also be avoided by faith. God wants obedience, but he's not interested in your merely external task-oriented obedience. Your own heart must not be detached. He wants his people to be internally driven by faith and a love for him. That's what transforms his law from just a bunch of tasks we need to keep to, like I said before, acts of worship. So why do we bring all this up? By way of analogy, I think many parents today fall into the same two traps that the Jews fell in in regard to God's commands. You're not under the old covenant law, but God is still giving you as Christian parents many commands related to parenting. He has expectations for your behavior when it comes to how you relate to your kids, how you parent. He expects you to obey them. But how do you view God's parenting commands, this standard of biblical parenting? You may look at this standard, what the Bible says about parenting, and say, it's too much. This is too big for me. I can't measure up. I can't keep all this. And if you miss the heart of God's parenting standard, you quickly become, become discouraged. You think you're, just, you're inadequate for the task. You'll never measure up. So you almost give up. You pull away. You stop trying, stop pursuing. Yeah, you'll still parent your kids, but you lack that sense of urgency or fervency. But this is the wrong response. Yes, God's expectations for you as parents are big. They are too much for you. He still wants you to diligently pursue them, though, but by faith with, with this deep daily reliance on him. God's in the power of using weak vessels who who otherwise can't do the things he tells them to do. But by his grace and his power, he he gets the glory. His grace is sufficient for you. He wouldn't command you otherwise. So don't pull away. Don't be discouraged by the size of the task. Others, though, can fall off the other side. They look at God's parenting commands and think, oh, I can do this. This this seems doable. They're they're probably task-oriented people. Give them a to-do list. That's all they need. They will diligently check things off the list and pat themselves on the back as ideal parents. May even thumb their nose at those, those lazy parents who aren't measuring up to God's parenting commands. But this response is also wrong. God is pleased by your doing. He wants your obedience, but you too cannot miss the heart. All that you do must be motivated by a heart of worship and love. Otherwise, all of those tasks become empty and hollow And at the same time, you're running the risk of missing the heart of your children. You have to be driven by faith and for the glory of God, not just yourself. You have to catch yourself that all you're doing is really done for the right reasons in the right way. You can't think parenting can be reduced to just a series of tasks or a list of tasks. And so in all, you have to find the proper balance. When you look at God's parenting standard, yes, it is too big. 
who is sufficient for these things? Who, who can perfectly do everything God calls us to do as a parent? No one. And those who think they can are just deluded. It's impossible to be this perfect parent doing everything God commands all of the time. But it's still the standard. God doesn't lower the bar. So what are we to do? We don't despair. We rather draw near to God by faith, looking to him for the strength and the grace and the power to measure up and to be found faithful. Let your weakness be to his glory as he provides you to the for, provides you the power needed for the task. He promises to do that. His grace is sufficient for you. And then you, you still get to work. You still need to obey his parenting commands, but not as some detached list of tasks. You know, by faith, you look at his standard, you know, his standard is best, best for you, best for your kids. And therefore you pursue it from a heart of love for God, love for his ways, a desire for what's best. It becomes an act of worship. In the end, we approach the parenting tasks like, like everything else in the Christian life, according to Philippians 2, 12 and 13 which calls us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so when all is said and done, when it comes to this, these parenting tasks, then our goal really is just to be found faithful, to be found faithful, to do what God calls us to do. And that's what we've stated in this mission of biblical parenting several times to glorify God by just being found faithful to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord directed at the heart. Where are we going with all this? Well, we're about the halfway mark in this short little biblical parenting crash course. And starting this evening, we're turning the corner and going to start turning our attention toward the practice of biblical parenting. We're going to go over the main tasks, what God commands, what God expects of you as parents. What are you to do? Now, all the, the practical things. What do you do? How do you raise your kids. What, what does God have to say about that? We're going to start covering some of the practical details. But as much as I know people want to learn this, uh, I go over this introduction to show you why we couldn't just start here. It's actually counterproductive to just jump to the practical stuff and skip over all of the, the principles. It's problematic to jump to the practice of parenting and skip over the biblical principles of parenting. And to use another analogy, that, that's because raising your kids is not like owning a car. How much do you really know about how cars work? It's a little, maybe the, the very basics, not much, probably because you just don't care. A car to use, it's just a tool you use to get you from point to point. You're mostly just concerned with keeping it running. And so most times you just pay someone to fix it when it breaks. Every now and then you might try and do something yourself, like change the oil. In that case, pull out the manual. You skip the first 300 pages because you don't care about that stuff. You just want to figure out this one task. How do I change the oil? You read it. You do it. You move on. You, You don't care about how the car works. You don't care about its other systems. You don't care about why it needs oil. You don't care about why the oil needs to be changed. You just want to know, how do I do this one task and move on? But parenting is not like this. And for one, our kids are more precious than cars. You may love your car, but it is replaceable. You will one day get rid of it. But our kids are not objects. They're eternal souls. Because of their eternal worth and and other reasons, you you care about them and love them much more. And yes, when specific issues come up with your kids, you want to open the manual and like, how do I fix this one thing? How do I address this one issue? Tell me, how do I deal with a toddler who won't stop screaming? What do I do when my 10-year-old starts habitually lying? How do I get my teen to talk to me again? Just you want answers for your specific problems. And that's fine, but if all I did was just give you a list of answers to your specific problems, some of you would just would happily do it. That wouldn't be helping you long term. You really need to get to know this vehicle, your, your child. You need to read the whole manual, find out who they are in God's eyes, what they're like, how they operate, why they tick, why they sin, why they break and break down, how to mend them, how to restore them. And contrary to your car, since you're so heavily invested in your kids, you should want to know everything you can about them and about yourself, about this parenting task. And that's why we're doing things the way we are. I didn't want to just start this crash course and and hand you a list of parenting tasks. Here's what to do. 
Some would see that and be discouraged by it and exasperated because it seems really big. Others would miss the point and think parenting can be reduced to a series of tasks. We want to try and do things the right way. That that comes by reading a whole manual and learning the the principles of biblical parenting. That's what we covered over the first three lessons. We've seen the goals, the mission, the heart, and the dynamic of biblical parenting. We've been dealing with more theory than practice, but we've learned what biblical parenting is all about. We're not going to recap all that now, but that this is why we've laid a foundation in this crash course. Now, and really only now, I think, are we equipped to, to move on to the biblical practice of parenting. And that is something we need to do. We can't just stick in the manual forever because you eventually have to get into real life. Like, how do I now actually implement and do all this? What does God actually want me to do? What are the tasks? Now I think we're equipped to handle those and talk about how to implement these principles in real life. And so we come now this evening, or at least starting this evening, to the tasks of biblical parenting. Hopefully we can get these right as well, now that they're, they're in their proper place, proper perspective. That's enough for an introduction. Let's get into now the, the tasks of biblical parenting for our time, the tasks of biblical parenting. And you can turn again in your Bibles to Ephesians 6.4, which gives us just this perfect, succinct summary of the parenting tasks and a lot of what God expects of us. Ephesians 6.4, we learn about the two main positive and one main negative tasks uh, in parenting. So turn there. Let's be reminded of those. We've seen this verse a couple times now. Let's read it again. Ephesians 6.4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two imperatives, two commands, one positive, one negative. But the positive one has two reference. That's why we can say three tasks. These tasks or duties come as standing orders, which means that they're not just one and done. You don't just do this once and say like, okay, I've done it. I've fulfilled what's asked of me. These are just perpetual commands. As long as you're a parent with children under your authority, these are your standing orders. These are your ongoing tasks. There's one negative, do not provoke them to anger, do not exasperate or make angry or incite. And the positive command is to bring them up, to raise, to train, to educate, rear, nourish, is what this word means, dealing with the the upbringing of our children. Naturally, you know it's your job to physically rear them, to feed them and clothe them, provide for them, to physically help them grow up and leave the nest. But this verse is directing us to the spiritual dimension of that. Spiritually, we are, it's also our job to bring them up, to raise them up to Lord willing, spiritual life and spiritual knowledge. Proverbs 22, six reminds us, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Obviously talking about the way of the Lord. And regarding this, this one positive command, the positive command is to bring them up, but it has two reference. And those are a discipline and instruction, that this is how we are to raise them up. Raise them up in discipline, raise them up in instruction. These two words really complement one, uh, one another. Paideia is the term for discipline. This is, this is the type of instruction that comes by action, i.e. a chastening, a, a discipline, a reproof. You're teaching them by doing something to them, an action, a discipline. And then you have nuthesia, which is the term for instruction. That This is training by speech, using your words. And it comes in all forms. It could just be straight teaching or admonishment, encouragement, rebuke, exhortation, warning. This is where you're giving them a good speaking to. Now, this is a very quick introduction to, we could say, the three parenting tasks, the one negative, the two positive. Next week, we'll come back and spend all of our time on one of the positive tasks, discipline, Hopefully have some time to talk about the negative task as well. We'll see how that shakes out. But for the rest of our time tonight, for now, we're going to get into instruction. We'll spend the rest of our evening covering one of these positive tasks of biblical parenting, instruction. And I'm not going to rank them in importance. They're all critical. But for now, let's just talk about all about one of these tasks, instruction. For another paradigm verse, you can turn back to Deuteronomy 6. 
I'll give you a little organization. Let's start with uh, the purpose of instruction. The purpose of instruction. Again, it's obvious you're going to instruct your kids about natural things, about life, about the world around them. But you're also distinctively teach them about life and the world in relation to God. This is instruction in the Lord. We're talking about Ephesians 6, 4, raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This involves imparting to them a distinctively Christian worldview and biblical perspective. And the whole purpose is that they would know God. You're passing on the knowledge, the instruction of God. Before we get to Deuteronomy 6, you can recall in your mind the first two Psalms. And they're all about this contrast between two people, two destinations, two ways. The way of the world and the way of the Lord. And the world around us will do an excellent job educating your children in the way of the world. It's unavoidable. It seeps in through the windows that you're not going to keep protect your children from being influenced by the world and the culture. They will learn well the ways of the world by living in the world. And their flesh will love it. But who will show them and instruct them the other way, the way of the Lord? The world is not going to do that. The school is not going to do that. The state is not going to do that. The church will one hour once a week. If that's all you're relying on, you're not getting very much instruction. It's going to be up to you as parents to show them the way of the Lord. Show them this contrast like the first two Psalms do between the, the folly of the way of the world and the glory of the way of the Lord. But whose job is it to teach your kids about the God who made them? It's yours, the parents. It's your primary duty and task to instruct them about the Lord. See this in Deuteronomy 6, which is a massive passage. It's for Old Covenant Israel, but the principles here for, of how God expects us to relate to the children in relation to his word and the future are undeniably timeless. Look at verses 1 through 5 to start. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. It's talking about Moses to the people. That you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. This is right about as they're about to inherit the promised land. He says, verse 2, So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, all your might. Verse 4 is known as the Shema, the, the essential confession of the Jews and their faith. And what God expects of them most, which is to love him with all their heart, to fear God, to keep his ways, that it would go well for them and their sons. It's what God wants of them. Faith expressed in, in a, a love and a fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. These first five verses are, are classic. Again, the Shema of Israel. These are passages they would know and they would memorize. This is Moses relating to them really the essence of their faith. And it's not just about keeping a list of commands. It's fearing and loving this God by faith, which will lead them to walk in his ways. Because his ways are best. They promised blessing in the land. This is how they were supposed to live. This generation entering the promised land. But they weren't going to be the only generation living in the promised land. They would have kids. And they would have kids. And a new generation would rise up that wouldn't know the Lord. So how is God going to ensure that this, this covenant community would pass on the faith? Well, he instructed and commanded the parents to do something about this. And so the next few verses in this passage, right after, he says in verse 6, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. First and foremost, these words have to be implanted in your heart. You can't give what you don't have or, or teach what you don't know. This has to be inside of you. And then verse 7, he says right after, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, also known as all the time. The picture here is just 24-7 instruction. He now instructs these people as parents to 
pass on this, these words that I'm commanding you today. They have to be on your heart first, and then you pass them along diligently all the time to your children. This is a picture of, of a family saturated with the truth of God's word. He adds verses 8 and 9, Regarding this word, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God wants his word in front of the eyes of his people all the time, plastered in their homes, that they're just constantly being inundated with God and his word. We think about the purpose of our instruction with our kids. And it's really that the same purpose of Moses instructing the people here. Back in verse 2, to fear the Lord your God. Fear is a perfect word biblically because it really encapsulates knowing God and obeying God, revering him, loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And reflected in this passage with Israel, which would go down through the ages, is it's incumbent on you as, as a parent in the family of God. Again, who will instruct them of the way of the Lord, who will pass on the knowledge of God and his word and his will, who will expose them to the love of God. He calls on not the church, not the state, not even the theocracy of Israel, but the parents to teach their sons, their grandsons. You must be the one to pass on the knowledge of the Lord to them. The purpose of this instruction, our instruction as parents is to pass on the knowledge of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Secondly, that the basis of instruction, we're just exclusively talking about now instruction. How our, one of our main tasks, how do we instruct our kids? So let's move on to the basis of instruction. Again, how would God ensure that his people would pass down the knowledge of him to their sons, their grandsons? He could have relied on oral tradition, but to really help them, he, he gave them his word. This is when he finally gave them his written word. And that contained that the lasting testimony the person of God and the work of God, what they needed to know to know this God and to fear him. And so this, this word, this written word became the basis of their instruction. What's the basis of our instruction? It's God's word. Now we, we benefit from the completed word. You recall 2 Timothy three, fifteen through 16, where Paul said about Timothy and he said that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Right after he says, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. This is our textbook then for parenting. You don't need to go to the bookstore and see that, that long aisle of parenting books. Those are great for, for physical issues. Yeah, I might, I might turn to them for, for physical issues, medical issues. But for spiritual issues, we, we have just one textbook, and it's God's sufficient word. We talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. We hold high the sufficiency of Scripture. Well, then probably should have a prominent place in the spiritual upbringing of our kids. Yeah, you know, we're going to teach them reading and writing and, and science and math. But when it comes to our goal in biblical parenting, the Bible has to be our, our main textbook that we are drawing on time and time again. And giving to them. Expose them to the whole counsel of God. Teach them about God and his character and sin and the law and, and Christ and his death and resurrection, the spirit, new birth, the kingdom. The list goes on. But just make sure you, you get through your minds that you have a, a critical textbook, the manual. It's in the Bible. Let them see that you're not just passing off worldly wisdom or your opinion but you're, you're giving to them God's timeless word, his revelation. That's how they gain a true understanding of, of life and, and their place in this world. Use the word of God in all your instruction, and they will actually learn from you a high view of the word, not a low view of the word. If you want to raise your child to be a painter, use a paintbrush. If you want to raise your child to be a writer, an author, use a pen. A musician, use a piano. But if you want to train your child or raise your child to know and follow God, use God's word. God has placed his power to change lives in his word. So don't, don't forsake it. Don't, especially in parenting, don't forsake God's word for fool's gold, for, for something else that really can offer you no meaningful counsel. 
He's given us what we need. Next, the model of instruction. This is huge. The model of instruction. How do we instruct our kids? We think like, yeah, teach them the Bible. How do you teach them the Bible? One essential way is how you live the Bible. God doesn't just expect you to teach his word to your children with words. He also expects you to model it, which is just as valid a form of instruction in many respects. Because your instruction will fall flat and ring hollow unless you as the parents are first practicing it, right? Like I said back in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, that this word must first be on your heart. I Meaning you believe it, you believe all this stuff, you are living this out and modeling it. And not perfectly, but you're also modeling repentance and humility and change. But remember that, especially as parents, you know this, Kids pick up real quick, your example, your living example, often speaks louder than your words. So are you modeling Christ for them? Are they learning from you to love God, that, that God is lovable, he's worthy of love, he's worthy of life, your whole life, or just a little part of your life? Do they learn from you to pray in hard times? Or, or uh, do they learn to pray even when times are not hard, or just all the time? Do they learn to respond to conflict by, by yelling or by peacemaking? Are they understanding from you Christianity is just like just something we just do on Sunday mornings? Or it's just it's a way of life or following Christ as his disciples. Yeah, this all means you have to shepherd your own heart first. You have to seek the Lord yourself first. But just remember when it comes to parenting, you are you are instructing them by how you live. Let this spur you to your own reform if need be. You will step up in your example, not just for their sake, for your own worship, but also for their sake. They need to see Christ in you. Let's add here the frequency of instruction. The frequency, this, we saw this in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently God's word to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. The obvious image there is, is really all the time. Whatever walk of life, whatever station of life you find yourself in with your kids, it's a perfect time to tell them about the Lord. The timing, the frequency is just 24-7. Yes, there's going to be some formal times to our instruction, but I really think those are the minority compared to the informal, or you might say impromptu times. The time I didn't expect to have a talk with my kid or give them a lesson on this or that right now, but something happened and the opportunity came and I think I need to take it. This impromptu time of instruction. I mentioned, I think, before, but part of the reason Christ had such a huge impact on the 12 is that he basically lived with them for the better part of three years, spending countless hours both modeling and then informally teaching them, not just when he's formally teaching the crowds, but those informal backdoor discussions, the, the late night Q&A, the, the unexpected conversation after a crisis, the the, the random teaching moments. We get those with our kids because we live with them. And those are times to capitalize key times of instruction. That This is what this 24-7 instruction looks like. It's not that you're, you're always reading them a Bible study, but you're just always trying to impart the knowledge and the love of God to them. And really, I think in many ways, discipline, which we'll learn about next week, is easy compared to instruction. Discipline, in many respects, is reactive. You spank them, you do some instruction, then you move on. But this, this instruction to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord cannot be compartmentalized. This is proactive, it's constant, it's pervasive. This is it's kind of overwhelming if you think about it, but nonetheless, it's what God wants us to do. To When you're standing or sitting, sleeping, even or waking, just be passing on the knowledge of the Lord to your kids. Now, I want to try and get even more practical, and let's talk about the manner of instruction, the manner of instruction, and talk about, okay, now how do we teach? We've, we've hit on it a little bit, but let's take it further. How exactly do we instruct? What are some ways you can instruct your children? Sitting down for an hour of Bible study sounds good, sounds ideal, but it's not the only way, and it doesn't always work out that way. What, what are ways we can do this? There's some ways it looks like. 
There are many creative ways we can and should instruct our children. So I'll just suggest a few in this, the manner of instruction. We'll talk about formal and informal means of instructing our kids. So start with formal instruction ways, different ways we can formally instruct them. The first is pretty obvious, just Bible reading and study. Bible reading and study, but this is where we start, of course. Just read the Bible with your kids. If they're really young, read to them. As they get older, you can read with them, but just be reading to and with your kids. Systematically, regularly, you start bite-sized, but increase over time, but work with them to build a, a habit of Bible reading. As they get older and they learn to read, try and incorporate that habit in their own lives where they are reading and feeding themselves the word. Be consistent. Try and have a regular schedule. Persist. Just try and form in them a, a habit of reading the word, reading with them, to them, or, or alongside them. For little kids, a useful tool here is a children's Bible. You can find one age appropriate for your child. They're, they're not all created equal. Some are not worth very much. Be discerning. You can ask some of us later if you need to for some help. I've always, at least since we've had kids, recommended uh, so far, it's been a helpful resource, the Big Picture Story Bible. It's what it's called. And I think it just excels at tying together the main point, the central storyline of the Bible, tying it to Christ and the gospel and his kingdom. It's, it's uh, served us well. As they, of course, mature and get older, you can uh, just have them read the, the full scriptures, the true scriptures. Story Bibles are really just, uh, they're not actually the Bible. They're just a retelling of the Bible, but the inspired scriptures, you can, uh, as they're able to read and understand, get to that. And then really, it's not quantity or quality time. It's quantity and quality time. You, you just want to help them be in the word together with you as much as possible. And then as deep as possible. Yeah, you are going to start small, but the whole thing is new to them. And it's a big book, but you got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. If you just put it off forever, like the Old Testament's really big. Let's just ignore it. You'll never get around to it. Just take little bites, little by little. Start exposing them. Help them build a foundation of the word. And then learn to take it deeper. Be interactive, especially with young kids. Act things out. Make them act things out. Be creative. Be engaging. Bible's not boring. It's only made boring by bad teachers. So if this means you need to grow in your teaching skills or your reading out loud skills then do it. Challenge yourself. You are a teacher. If you're a parent, you're a teacher. So grow in the skill. You can try object lessons. Jesus taught using object lessons all the time. Some object from real life and part of spiritual message. Like this morning, we're learning about John the Baptist. Just go down to Pismo Beach, buy those, those chocolate-covered crickets and a little honey dipping sauce. They will never forget what John the Baptist ate. There's an object lesson. Here's a huge component while you're reading with them or to them. Ask questions. It sounds simple, but just ask a ton of questions. This is so important because you're trying to shepherd their heart. You you need to know what's what's inside of them. I can't see it. They have to, has to come out of them. And the one way I draw out of them, their level of understanding, is by asking questions, a ton of questions. This is how you gauge where they're at. What do they know? What do they not know? What do they understand? What do they completely not understand? Where are they troubled? What questions and objections might be forming? So we can address those. Or is true faith, is understanding forming? I don't know. I'm going to need to ask questions to draw that out, continually asking questions. As you're reading the Bible with them, three types of questions you can ask just to keep them engaged and to draw out. Observation questions, interpretation questions, and application questions. Simple as that. Observation you can read something, say, what does this say? What does that say? How many of those were there? Simple observation questions. Get them looking and carefully in the text. Interpretation questions. What does this mean? Be ready to provide the right answer as you hopefully are more equipped in interpreting God's word. And then application questions. What do we do about it? How do we respond? That The so what? Okay, we just read this passage. So what? What's the response? Hopefully you have skill in discerning that as well. But you're just helping them engage with the scriptures as hopefully you yourself are engaging with the scriptures. But Bible reading, Bible study, it's kind of the obvious first practical way to formally instruct your kids. It's kind of a non-negotiable, so start there. 
But don't end there. You could add number two, family devotionals. Family devotionals. Here you could have a, a supplemental book, for example, a family devotional book. And these can be supplements if this is intimidating to you. Maybe you're new to the faith. There's no shame in getting help yourself. A family devotional book can really help supplement your formal instruction of your children. And these are just resources helping parents teach the Bible to their children. Sounds like a great thing. Any good family devotional is going to be, of course, filled with scripture, taking you to the scriptures, helping you and your kids, maybe together, understand the scriptures. And that's okay. Take all the help you can get. We recommend uh, the one that comes with our Sunday school curriculum, the Generations of Grace family devotional. It's a little red book. This is excellent. Uh, we, we, had, we just finished uh, the first three years. So three separate books. Of course, we're restarting now with, with year one now. But the way it's designed is that your kids get a lesson on Sunday morning and you, you'll go to the corresponding lesson in your red take-home book and there you'll find five devotionals Monday through Friday with a little passage to read, a few extra paragraphs, and then a bunch of questions already with answers for you as parents. And you just walk them through it. And if you need a little aid to help you just get something started, that's a perfect way. And it's dovetailing with what they are learning, with all of our kids are learning at the same time on Sunday mornings. That's an example of a practical way you could aid in formally instructing your kids just week by week. And in three years with our curriculum, they're going through the whole Bible, the major points of the whole Bible. That's not so bad. I could also add a, a family worship time. We just try and reclaim you might say some sacred time. We, we don't have any sacred time. All of our time is secular time, it seems like these days. But try and form or reclaim a little bit of sacred time. A, a caveat, if you have kids in high chairs, your dinner time is not going to be like this perfect family worship time, right? Like, you know, it's pretty chaotic. You're just trying to wrangle kids and just make them finish dinner. But as your kid's older and as the older ones mature and, and as they all start growing, you really can try and reclaim a family worship time and form a routine of just coming together, reading, praying, worshiping, discussing, just carve, intentionally carve out some, you might say, sacred time. Number three here, a third formal way, real quick, Bible memorization. Right? Get some flashcards. As your kids are older, they can read, they can memorize. Give them some challenges. Have, have flashcards for time in the car, just something to be creative. You can have some basic verses on God, on Christ, on salvation, on wisdom, Bible memorization is a way to plant the word in their hearts. Uh, corresponding to this, number four, catechisms. Catechisms, and that's really just talking about a, a summary of, of doctrine, the essential truths of the faith. And these are just learning tools to help even adults, but especially kids, learn the basics of the faith. Like, what, what do we believe? What does the Bible teach? Essential biblical truths. Historically, this was mostly used by Catholics, but... Protestant traditions, a lot of Presbyterians, obviously with Westminster and some Baptists, form catechisms, ways to catechize, teach, instruct your children about what the Bible teaches. And this is a great way to teach your children the fundamentals of the faith at a slightly higher level. Again, Sunday nights right now at church, if you've got kids over there in Discovery, they are memorizing the New City Catechism. They're going little by little through that. And that's a great way to, again, impart part of God's instruction into their hearts. So even if you're not, your kids aren't doing that, still grab a copy. I think it's a free app. It seems uh, to be a pretty excellent catechism so far. Great way for them to memorize or just read through essential truths of the faith. Then one more real quick, number five, a fifth way to formally instruct them is just using other media, taking advantage. We all know the internet is a blessing and a curse, but take the good part of it. Find some good media. Find ways to redeem the time, whether you're driving in the car, or you're listening to something, they're watching something. Just remember, you as parents, you're supposed to be in control. And that means you're supposed to be in control of the media they consume. You should have a say in that. And it should be up to you. You can just totally give way to the culture and let them watch whatever they want to watch. Or you can use your parental authority and influence and... and set before them options that are more redeeming. Better media, Christian media, Bible media. It is one more way you can you know, give into the spirit of, of instructing them all the time and redeeming something like a, a simple drive to church. If you're coming 20 minutes away, you got a drive time. Have you thought about how you could redeem that drive time with your kids and use that to instruct 
I'm sure there's many ways. We got to keep moving. Let's, let's switch to informal instruction. We're talking about the manner of instruction. Trying to get a little more practical, like how do we do this? What does this look like? There's formal ways. Let's just give a, a word to the informal ways. And here I think there's just two parts. First is the school of life, right? Just the school of life. This is where you're not just setting a Bible hour every night, which is nice, but difficult to achieve. No, you're also trying to make instruction, not just an event, but a way of life. Overall, you need to think of it that way. Instruction is not just an event. Oftentimes it is, but it's also a way of life. You're using the school of life to instruct your children about God and his ways. The school of life refers to just all the situations of life, the trials of life you face, the ups and the downs, the good times and the bad times. But how do we relate to that as Christians? We, we, we should pass all events of life through the grid of Scripture, how we interpret life in this world around us uh, before God. So let them in to how you think about the world, how you relate to the world, how you relate to that announcement of that person who just got cancer, how you relate to that person who just had a baby. Good, the good and the bad. How are you thinking about these things? Unleash your Christian worldview on them and, and see things that happen not as problems, but as opportunities. This is an opportunity. This, this thing just happened. Even if it's a crisis, maybe a bad thing. You can still, though, see it as an opportunity to instruct them. Maybe you're in line, you overhear someone next to you, the harsh words about the president. It might be an opportunity to tell your kids, look, God just tells us to trust him. He's sovereign over leaders. And he actually calls us to pray for our leaders. Why don't we do that right now? Maybe you're watching some TV with your kids. You program you thought would be okay, but something objectionable comes on. Don't fret. It becomes a keen opportunity to instruct them about Psalm 1. There's two ways. Look, not everyone believes what we believe or behaves like we behave. Here's why. Here's why we're different. You just found a, an unexpected opportunity to instruct them. That they're going to eventually see the world and learn about the ways of the world. But again, who will instruct them the ways of the Lord? You just found an impromptu opportunity. You could just ignore it or you could talk about it. Just see all the events of life as an opportunity to teach. And secondly here, a second type of informal instruction that's just all the time. I want to come back to personal example. Because it's that important. Let's come back to personal example. Because overall, what are you, what are you trying to teach your kids? At the heart of it, you don't just want them to know Bible facts. You're trying to teach them to know God and love God, right? Ultimately, that, that's what you're getting at. That they would come to know and love God. And one of the best ways you can do that is just by knowing and loving God yourself. Do you know God? Do you love God? Can they tell that? Just by watching you. If not, what are you expecting? They will see that. Much of what they learn is, is not just taught, but caught. But if you don't really desire God and his word, they'll pick up on that too. They'll learn the Bible is just, just a little tiny family chore. They'll drop that chore when they get older. What are you modeling? Also, you know, let your kids see you use the Bible throughout life. It's not just for a family devotional time. Let them see how you rely on God's word and wisdom for decision-making, a financial question, or whatever it might be. Let them see you pray when crisis hits, but also when there's no crisis. Let them see you pray. Also, if your, question, if your children have questions about life, again, you can see it as an opportunity to build up their view of scripture. Instead of just saying, do this, do that, you can say, let's see what God's word has to say about that way to point them to the word, to, to build in them a high view of scripture. This is where we go to find answers for life and godliness. And surely the, this little study could be expanded, but and take it upon yourselves to, to really think and plan creatively. How can you instruct your children formally, informally, standing or sitting, rising or lying down, morning or evening? How can you take more opportunities to, to teach and to implant God's truth into their hearts. Again, our standard, just be faithful in this task, trusting and praying that God will in his, in his timing and his uh, perfect plan cause the, the seeds that you're planting, but with all this effort to come to life and to bear fruit. But at the very least, 
I would say resolve this evening to form a plan. I bet a lot of you, you came here this evening, you, you knew God expects you as parents to instruct your children. Like, yeah, we, we know we are supposed to be instructing our children. We've heard that verse many times. And you do. You, you do instruct them, but not really intentionally. It's almost accidentally, but you instruct them. But if I were to ask you, like, what is your strategic plan to instruct each of your children where they're at, at their age, would you have an answer? Is there any plan? Is there any intentionality to pass along the knowledge of the Lord to your kids? Or are you just flying by the seat of your pants? If, if you have no plan, that's your assignment. Go home, take these notes, have a conversation with your spouse, and just formulate a plan, a roadmap, at least, at least applying some intentionality to this essential task of parenting to instruct them in the Lord. Have a game plan. Create some uh, roadmap of what it might look like for you and your household with your stage of life, your work-life balance, your schedule. What might it look like? What can it look like? What should it look like? Just create some sort of a plan. I do think you'll benefit from that. Thankfully, there's a little time left on the clock, so we get to include one last section here. Still on the top of it, a topic of instruction. Finish things up, I want to talk about what to teach. What to teach. We've talked about how to instruct and purpose of instruction, the basis of it, the model of it. But a little final bonus on what to teach. Obviously, we know we're talking about the Bible. But the Bible is a really big book filled with diverse stories. And what, what part of the Bible are we really trying to impart to them? And yeah, you, we would say all of it, the whole thing. But I want to help you think through that a little bit more precisely and, and maybe helpfully, how, or really what we are trying to impart to them in a strategic way. So three aspects of what we're trying to teach to our children. It, I, this is all pretty intuitive, but hopefully helpful if you haven't thought about it before. And first, straightforwardly, the facts of the Bible. The facts of the Bible. We know this is not our goal. It's not our end goal. Knowledge puffs up. We just, we're not trying to make them Bible quiz experts. But as a means to an end, they have to have a baseline knowledge of the word. That's true for any field. You have to be conversant with the key terms, the ideas, the concepts of any field before you can move on and understand deeper things. So if you're going to go into chemistry, you have to learn the periodic table of elements. You cannot go beyond you're going to become a doctor, I'm pretty sure you've got to memorize the skeletal system, the muscular system. You've got to know the parts of the body. Likewise, that the greater truths of salvation in Christ Jesus, that a deeper understanding is going to be built on a foundation of just, well, all the basics. What are some of the just child-level foundational truths of Scripture? Think of like the who, what, where, when, and why of the Bible. The who. Teach them that the key persons or beings of the Bible. Obviously, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit, and then figures like Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, the apostles. Think of the what. What's the basic storyline of the Bible? From creation to fall to the promise, redemption, restoration. The scripture has an intended storyline of the unfolding of God's progressive revelation of, of salvation. So, give them those foundational truths. The, the where and the when we're dealing with, God gave his word couched in ancient Israelite history. So teach them about life in ancient Israel. That's giving them a, a, a lens to understand scripture, which comes to us two to 4,000 years removed. And then, of course, the why, why of scripture, which comes to God's glory. Show them that the God-centeredness to the Bible. The Bible is not about your kids. Or you, it's about God and his glory. God's glory is an abstract concept that can be hard for them to understand, but you can build that up in a simple way with a lot of these truths and just showing them the God-centeredness to it all. And so, especially for your youngest kids, what you teach is, is going to start off with largely just the facts of the Bible, the, the storyline of the Bible. You're, you're building the foundation yeah, when possible, you're going to tie in deeper lessons, but look, your toddler can't really grasp deeper lessons. They're just going to remember the basic facts. 
But that's okay, because in time, you will build on that foundation to take them further. I remember at, at age three, our daughter Olivia, with using that big picture story, Bible must have read that, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 times. It's quick. You just cycle through it, cycle through it. But she really understood at least the basic plot and characters of the fall, right? God, Adam and Eve, the serpent, the curse, you know, the fruit, the disobedience, the banishment. She like understood the characters and the storyline. She was no theologian. She didn't understand really the significance of this. But I'll tell you what, if, if you never understand just the basic elements, you'll never understand the real significance. You got to start somewhere. Now, I know this is obvious. I know we don't stop here. But it's worth staying, saying, especially with your younger kids, you start with laying a foundation of just the basic knowledge of the scriptures, the basic facts of the Bible. Let them become familiar with the story. Secondly, though, we will move beyond to, secondly, the lessons of the Bible. From the facts of the Bible to the lessons of the Bible, what are we teaching uh, the spiritual truths behind it? Because the Bible is not just a history book, and it's not just a story book. This is what's wrong with a lot of story Bibles, that they just kind of reduce the Bible to a book of stories, just kind of like any other fairy tale book on your kid's shelf. Look, the Bible has many stories that are intriguing, but it's not just a story book. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for training, teaching, education, instruction. This is a, a theological history. This is the revelation of God. And so we know every chapter, every uh, verse of, of scripture is going to have in it, uh, every section of scripture, a point, a, a truth that's being communicated, the author's intent, a spiritual lesson. And so as your children are able to understand, you start teaching them some of the spiritual lessons of the Bible. This is where you're going beyond just the cold facts to, to the, the meaning, the interpretation, the, the spiritual truths of the facts that lead to life and godliness. Some of just uh, a handful of some of the basic spiritual truths you'll find in the Bible, spiritual lessons, for example, that God made all things. God created a perfect world and rules over it. God created men and women in his image. Man sinned against God by disobeying his word. Sin is rebellion against God. God judges the wicked and saves the righteous. All are wicked and none are righteous except Christ, God's son, only by the death and resurrection of Jesus can we be made right. God faithfully loves his people, keeps his promises. It's a pretty simple list, but if a kid could gain that understanding and, and understand those lessons, repeat them, I'd say that's, that's a pretty good start. It's a pretty good foundation. Again, we don't reduce the Bible to just a, a series of moral tales, but you're going to build on the foundation of, of the facts and start building their knowledge of spiritual truths. This is a book uh, of God's word revealing spiritual truths. So you go there next. And then lastly, thirdly, obviously you want to arrive at the point of the Bible, right? From the facts of the Bible to the lessons of the Bible to the point of the Bible. Do you know the point of the Bible? We cannot reduce the Bible to mere facts or a mere collection of spiritual lessons, You'd be doing wrong to reduce it to a series of stories or a series of moral lessons, although it has both. Again, many children's fable books, they're a series of short stories, and they tack on a moral lesson at the end to help you be a better person. And some people view the Bible like that. It's just a bunch of moral stories to help you be a better person. And yes, the Bible is filled with many stories that have a moral point. But overall, we know that this is a redemptive book. It is unified and tied together, a thread runs through every one of those stories and episodes, tying it to God's revelation of, of salvation. The theme of these stories is God's redemptive work. Their purpose is to show how we aren't moral. We, we fall short. We're not good enough. We need God's grace in Christ to be made right with him. And so all this goes to say, especially as your kids get older, but look, even when they're young, you're going to, to get them to the point of the Bible, which is essentially getting them to the gospel, the good news, which really encapsulates the point of the Bible. And that also gets you to the application of the Bible. What is the point of the Bible? We might say it's the self-disclosure of our creator, God's glory, which is found chiefly in the salvation of his son, Jesus. 
The point of the Bible really boils down to the gospel. And so you, you are, we might say, failing in instructing your kids if you teach them all the facts and all the lessons, but leave out the gospel. Like you're, you're kind of missing the point of all this instruction because the, the facts, the lessons uh, give us a framework for understanding this gospel, which, which is the point. So teach them the gospel. Make sure they understand that the whole purpose of this book, this Bible, God's revelation, why he revealed himself to us. Let them know the bad news of our sin and their sin before a holy God, but the good news of how he answered that in his son Christ, his death and resurrection. As a quick side note, we're pretty much out of time, but uh, John MacArthur has a book called What the Bible Says About Parenting. And uh, all of chapter 3, the whole third chapter, he gives a, a little synopsis of the, these types of gospel truths you can teach your children. So if you're looking for a resource, the whole third chapter is essential on that. But look, most kids learn the Bible as just a series of rules or spiritual lessons they're supposed to keep, but they're clueless to the gospel. This can't be the case with us. The truths of the gospel of grace in Christ must be clear to our children. And it, honestly, it doesn't take much to get there. Only need a few basic facts and a few lessons. You can help them understand the gospel on a, a level of a child pretty uh, early. It's not like these are always in order. This is all, all three of these are happening all the time. The facts of scripture, the, the lessons, and then the point. They all tie together. But really, it's, it's the gospel that will, in turn, finally demand a response from them. It's not just some abstract truth that they're learning, but you start incorporating the gospel and it becomes now like, oh, a, a response is being demanded of them. It's only the gospel that's going to confront them with, with their sin, their status before their God, as their eyes are open to really a self-awareness. But also they will see his offer of new life. So help them see this. The Bible is not just about what, what we must do and who we must be. It's really about who God is, what he did for us in Christ. And because we fall short, and that gives meaning to now who we are and what we must do. You know, in, in this whole subject of instruction, you might be challenged, especially when it comes to you know, t- you know, tying in the, the gospel and the central point of scripture. You might be challenged because it, honestly, it's, it's far easier just to teach a story about Jonah and a whale. And that's it. Just leave it at that. Just, just a story about Jonah and, and the fish. It, it's harder to understand the redemptive message in that story and then communicate that to a young mind. But this is where you need to challenge yourself to better understand the overall redemptive story of the Bible, which is about God's glory and salvation through Christ. And so along these lines, that means in all you as parents probably need to strive for a better understanding of of the gospel yourselves. How well do you grasp the overall message of scripture, the point of the Bible? Do you know all the facts even and the lessons and then the point? How, how well do you know this? In general, you can't teach what you don't know. So when it comes to the knowledge of God's word, challenge yourself to grow in your understanding of the facts, the lessons, but then, and then the point, the gospel, that you might worship God and grow in your own life then be better equipped to pass that on to your kids. Again, we'll reiterate just to be faithful, to be found faithful and doing your best with, with how God has equipped you and gifted you to pass on all you got to your kids. But let this be a, maybe a challenge for, for you and your kids to grow together. Using helps, using resources, that's fine, but challenge yourself to grow in the knowledge of his word. Pass it on to your kids. God works through his word You can trust his word not to return void. He'll be faithful in that. You be faithful to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. Let's close in a little word of prayer. Lord God, we we ask that you you help us now to indeed be found faithful. And from what we've learned tonight from your word about what we are to do, our, our task as parents, and a huge part of that is to instruct. We need your help. We already uh, ask for your grace in this. We don't want to be discouraged and dejected by the task. We, we know it's too big for us, but we, we have to say your power is sufficient for us. Your, your grace is perfected in our weakness. You show yourself great in using vessels who, who don't measure up. We thank you for the gift of your spirit who, who can lead us into this truth and wisdom that we might pass on to our kids. 
At the same time, we can't shy away from this. Give us a fervency to, to pursue you, to, to long for you and your word, like the deer pants for water, Lord. Help us to, to long for it for our own souls and then to pass it on to our kids. But give us all here a, a fervency for this task to instruct, instruct ourselves, instruct our kids of this knowledge of the Lord. It, it is the highest knowledge. Our, our God who made us and has saved us in Christ. I mean, how, how do we not want our kids to, to know this and to behold it? And to have it impact their hearts. Again, motivate us to be faithful. Help us to rise to this challenge. And we trust you uh, to be faithful to uh, let the word implant into their hearts. And Lord willing, bear fruit. We call on you for this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.